1: to get a ball rolling, you know? Yeah. uh, He was such a unique, unique songwriter. He's had such an interesting perspective on anything and
0: everything. Right. That uh, Yeah, nothing like a little dose of Warren. Now, should we tell the listening audience uh, how we came about
1: that song? (laughs) Well, first of all, let's tell them what the song was. That was a song called Splendid Isolation, which which was released on his 1989 album, Transverse City. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, it, it's funny, the, the theory is he got the term, the term described a uh, uh, way of governing that the British Empire was notorious for in the mid, I believe it was the mid to late 1800s, wasn't mm-hmm. it? You are correct. And, uh, and as you so astutely pointed out when we were talking before the show, anybody, any other country, it would have just, just been isolation, but since it was the British, it was splendid isolation. Splendid isolation. Because yes, <laughs> <yes, laughs> they do have a way of, of, of being splendid, don't they? Yes, they do. You know? But, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a very appropriate way to, uh, to segue or to start off, uh, given the topic mm-hmm. that we're going to delve sure. into this afternoon or sure. this evening. Or I can't even tell what time. It's like a Vegas casino in here. There's no out, outside light. And are we pump pumping on Yes, yeah? we oh, are. God.
0: <laughs> no clock. Actually, there's lots of clocks because the uh, fun fact on the ecology of Johnny Teflon, I yes. find the sound of ticking clocks to be very soothing. Really? Because growing up, my mom had this thing for clocks, everything from – Cuckoos brought over from Germany, the little digital ones, the little little chimy ones, a grandfather clock that <laughs> I guess I'm slated to inherit All that right. goes on with this whole gong and chime thing, and All th- right. but just the ticking in and of itself relaxes me. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Hey man, whatever works.
0: You know what right? I mean?
1: I mean, I, I prefer. Uh, pharmaceuticals myself, but Sure, if, sure. if a ticking clock works for you, it's probably <laughs> cheaper than the pharmaceuticals, you know?
0: Much, yeah. much, yes. except when they all go off at different times. That could be kind of... A, I can you know, see where that would be disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs> just a, Sounds like just the opening to a Pink Floyd song in here, if they all go off at noon. Yeah. Well,
1: it kind of reminds <laughs> me, you remember that film Fright Night? Yes. Do you remember all the clocks that he had... Uh, throughout the house, particularly in the in the front lobby, I do yeah, just to remind him when the sun was coming up. Oh, you know? nice reference! Yeah. Yes,
0: that was uh, what Roddy McDowell or no? Yeah, or no, Mount, yep. yeah, Roddy McDowell. That's exactly
1: yeah. right. Yeah, that was a that was a fun movie.
0: See, you do have a little bit of recall rattling up, that up that in was, there. I think was
1: it was the first movie that I saw after <laughs> I smoked a joint. <laughs>
0: wow! Yeah,
1: yeah, good, a good watershed
0: sh- moment, America. I'm
1: telling you, and so I, and I can remember it too. So yeah, that's 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 a that's a feat in you know, and of itself. Nice. But, uh, but, yeah, getting back to the concept of splendid isolation, or as we do in America, just flat-out isolation. Yeah,
0: plain old vanilla wrapper yeah, isolation. Yeah, exactly.
1: I was, uh, I was reading a story in the, uh, the Harvard Business Review uh, earlier this week. Uh, excuse me, the Hobb Business Review. <laughs> and uh, according to this story, uh, we now use digital media for an average of over 12 hours per day. Hmm. And this overindulgence has repercussions. Apparently, this hyper-connected state uh, does not allow us to process, uh, recharge, and refocus. Uh, in a nutshell, we're overstimulated.
0: Right. Totally believe it. makes perfect
1: sense. It's not hard to wrap your brain around, pardon the pun.
0: And uh, you know, a fun fact attached to that is that to back up that, that fact and that theory, I get a report, a little visual note, on my iPad every yeah. week, and it tells me what my average usage of, really? so of, of these the devices was for that week, in yeah. particular, social media. Interesting. Um, now, for my weekly, it was saying 12 hours. But then again, this is just off of my iPad, yeah. which is more for me is what I bring to bed. I look at the news like the last thing before I close my eyes for the day. Um, do you really? Yeah, I do. I could it's never a do habit. That.
1: I'd never sleep.
0: Yep. And you know what? That's probably what screws up my sleeping more than anything else, which I sleep horribly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and there's been reports that come out that even just the light, yep, affects your your sleep patterns. Now everything comes across as like a blue haze yeah. at a certain time of day. But um, yeah, just for that singular point, it does. It keeps track of how much I'm, I'm viewing, which yeah, it is way too much. Yeah. Because it doesn't take into account any of the other things, and um, you know, like I said to you before. Only us, as, well, Americans or just people in general, Mm -hmm. could take something so brilliant as global instant communication and use it as a tool to get withdrawn into ourselves. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. (laughs) Give us an excuse to pull back, shut down, isolate. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's necessarily intentionally connected. But I uh, caught a headline in the Boston Globe uh, earlier this week as well that uh, asked the question, is pandemic isolation destroying our social skills? Hmm. Now, I tend to think the technology uh-huh. was already destroying our social skills, that whole isolation trip. Yep. And then you throw a pandemic on top of it that mandates we stay away from each other, that we don't have physical contact. Right. And you've got a shit show on wheels here.
0: You can go down the whole you know chicken and the egg rabbit hole there. I mean, I think it's, it's our nature to want to isolate ourselves. In, in these days, in modern times, yeah. versus you know, what should be a strictly mammalian thing of this sense of community and, mm-hmm. and banding together, Yeah, people don't want to be bothered with other people anymore. Well, it's,
1: that's the funny thing. You just hit the nail on the head. Humans are uh, social creatures. We're, mm-hmm. we're herd creatures. And yet, for some reason, we've completely reversed that tendency that... that Uh, need, if you will. And I tend to think that, I mean, in this case, you know, overstimulation, I don't know if anybody's noticed, I don't know if it's just me, but these days all the news is bad. It's just
0: bad. Yeah, nonstop.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a a great big old shit sandwich. Now, I will say,
0: in in fairness, um, at the end of the uh, whatever, the the standardized Fox broadcast is of the evening news, Mm -hmm. I think it's the story with Brett bear or whatever. Yeah. Um, the last piece is always a fluff piece. But, to a rational human being, it does kind of fall on deaf ears because the other 50 minutes of the broadcast has <laughs> they've, been... They've already scarred they're you. They're coming to take yep. me away, ha-ha. Kinda, yeah, completely you know. freaked you out. But yeah. at the end, it is. It's always like this, this animal getting rescued from a flood or an old woman meeting her love from the Korean War. I mean, always something like that. So the, the attempt is there. Yeah. But I think realistically going against the whole if it bleeds, it leads mentality of every news service everywhere, yeah. they should make a concerted effort to showcase some of the positives going on Yeah, regardless yeah. of the source. Institute
1: know? some actual balance yes. in, in what, they're, what they're broadcasting and what they're filling people's heads with. Yeah,
0: because from a psychological standpoint, you're absolutely right. It wears on you. If yeah. all you hear all day is bad news, how are you, I don't care who you are, how are you going to have a sunny demeanor to carry on with the rest of your day and interact with, with other people?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it warps your perspective on reality because the yes. fact of the matter is it isn't all bad. There are still plenty of very positive things There's happening There's a hell in the of a lot of good out there. But I, I think a big part of it, and uh, I know you're not particularly fond of this writer. i read Matt Taibbi's book, Hate Inc.
0: You're always fixated on the <laughs> fact that I said I don't care for him.
1: Yeah, you wow. don't, don't like Matt. You don't like Green Day. and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing. Good recall. Uh, I've, yeah, I've heard, fuck yeah, Green yeah. Day. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, one of the goals of mass media these days is to keep you tuned in. Mm-hmm, you sure. know, the old days when Walter Cronkite ended his broadcast, and I know I, I'm just barely old enough to remember this, and I suspect you are too. Mm-hmm. You know, he used to say, well, that's the way it was. Right. And, you know, the the, the implicit message was, we're all done now. Shut off the news. Yeah. Go back to your life. Yep. You know, do whatever it is you do. Whereas now it's coming up next, coming up next, right. coming up next. You know, this show, that show. You know, the 24-hour news cycle. Yep. They don't want you. They don't want your attention to stray. And now with technology, you have the ability to stay locked in every waking moment of the day, and yep. it's not healthy.
0: You know, it's funny you bring up Walter Cronkite. Uh, where I grew up in Jersey, we had. Uh, two stations for every uh, market, I guess. So we had a, a Philadelphia version of a channel yeah. and a New York version. Now, with my family being from New York, my family would just naturally watch the New York version of whether it was CBS, NBC, or, or ABC. Yeah. And I forget what network they were on. I want to say ABC, but they had dual anchors on the evening news, yeah. Roger Grimsby and Bill Butel. All right. Okay. Bill Butel was more of the glass half-full guy, and Roger Grimsby, as his last name would kind of suggest, was half-empty, right? (laughs) But even at the end of the telecast, Roger Grimsby would kind of be like, and that's the news, and pretty much go shit in your hat, you know? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) just Back to whatever it is you were doing. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But we didn't really bad an eye because it was the news. It was dry. Yeah. You didn't look to the news in those days for entertainment in any way, shape, or form. No, not at you all. You know, if you didn't get the newspaper, you'd turn on the news because the stories were exactly the same and in most cases, the stories were told exactly the same way. Yeah. There was no personality, you know, standpoint on it and in that way, and this is why I bring it up, it connected people because we all got the same version of the story. Yeah. You know, whereas today... You never see that.
1: Well, there was a commonality to what we understood as the truth. Yes,
0: exactly. And
1: that seems to have gone by the wayside as news has become a commercial venture. Yep. It's not at all a situation where you're going to see the same perspective on mm-hmm. one channel to the other. Each, each one has its own spin on everything. And
0: they're so unapologetic about oh, it. Oh, I know. You know, know it's it. like Fox is all they could do not to spit in your face when they, when they tell you the headlines of the day. <laughs> this is what we think is important. Deal with it, you know? Yeah. And I'm picking on them, which is out of character for me, but they're all the same. Yeah. They're like, this is the news. Believe it if you want. That's, yeah. That should be the tagline for everybody.
1: Yeah, despite my best interests and my sanity, I still, you know, punch up CNN.com mm-hmm. on a regular basis and check it out. And as sure as the sun's going to rise, their lead story is going to see Trump. Oh, there's
0: going to be five stories on the page. Absolutely. You know, And then something. Absolutely.
1: And yeah, okay, so they got in a little bit of a fight, right. you know, a few <laughs> years back. I don't know who picked the fight with who, but, uh, but yeah, it seems like CNN's sole purpose in life now is to bash the shit out of Donald Trump. Yep. And whether or not he deserves it, can be debated from now until hell freezes over. The fact of the matter is they're supposed to be a news agency and not supposed to play that game.
0: The truth of the matter is is that 10 years ago, we took everything that CNN said and fed to us as fact, untarnished, pure fact, and they were respected around the globe. No matter what your leanings are, Nobody could say that with a straight face now. It's as simple as that, and that's the tragedy. Oh
1: yeah, and this is this isn't really anything new. I mean, you know, the Hearst organization for years chose sides. Yeah, you know, muckraking and 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 this and that whatnot. But now it's so blatant, it's so over the top, Mm -hmm. and it's it's just relentless. It's just constant, you know, beating away at your sanity, and. I don't know, maybe we're junkies to this kind of shit, but we just don't know how to turn it off. Apparently. Right,
0: I mean, because leading back to your the point you're making, it's we're the ones that facilitate this. Yeah. And we're the ones that facilitate being isolated, drawing a line in the sand. We love drawing lines in the sand. Oh, yeah. For every number uh, of reasons. And we're all about a versus mentality now. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Now, where do you go from here? Because... I don't see how this could suddenly open up and become, you know, uh, a fair weather society again. Let's say, regardless of who wins the election, yeah. people are still going to hate each other after this. Well, yeah,
1: that's my question: is after the pandemic is over, uh-huh. right, you know, it's behind us; it's in the rearview mirror. We're looking back on us, and that day will come. I, I feel the need to constantly remind people <laughs> that at some point, the shit will be over. Yeah. you know, there'll be another shit storm on the horizon. Oh, sure, I'm sure. sure. Uh, but this particular shitstorm will be behind, its best estimate, next fall. Mm-hmm. You know they're going to come with a, a vaccine or multiple vaccines early 2021. It's going right. to take. Six, well, Fox eight-
0: will have a vaccine, and CNN will have a vaccine, <laughs> and probably MSNBC <laughs> yeah, exactly. will have its own vaccine. <laughs>
1: This is the liberal vaccine, <laughs> right? You know, don't take this. Don't if... take this if
0: you're not a liberal, because it'll kill you. <laughs> yeah,
1: and <laughs> uh, and you know they'll have the right wing vaccine, obviously. Um, and yeah, it, that'll be fun with distribution time. Uh-huh. But yeah, it'll take six to eight months to distribute whatever it is they come up with that'll chase this thing away. So you know, you're talking the fall of next year. Yep. Where are we going to be at that point? How beat up? You know, how I, burned I out? To think. How I depressed? Really how just?
0: Unbelievably screwed up. I you know a, a whole crop of, of school children that have been massively shortchanged in their education. It's oh, going to yeah. be time to play catch up. Now, I'm not really well versed in what they're doing right now, say over in Asia or mm-hmm. some of the European countries, but our, right here in the States, it's on its head. And I haven't spoken to a single teacher who's enamored with the the setup the way it is yeah, now. Yeah, there's
1: no one. There's no one. No, no one. one. Not a single the one. The parents are
0: unhappy with it. The teachers are unhappy with it. Yeah. The kids, even if they don't know any better, they're not happy with it. Yeah. And tying back around to, you know, what is kind of the main force of, of this topic here, the social skills. These kids aren't learning social skills sitting at home talking to a screen. Oh, yeah. They're not supposed to
1: socialize. Right? Yeah, it's funny. You... you probably wisely cut me off at mid rant as I was, you know, yanking a <laughs> right? quote happens? out from, from Full Metal Jacket that you know, it's all a great big shit sandwich and we're, we're all gonna, gonna, gonna have take to take a, take a bite. bite. But <laughs> you know, when I was when I was doing this, jotting this down, and I, I will admit that Greg Goose was a fuel on this one, I listed all the things that were a shit show on wheels and school was at the top of the list. Yeah. And I mean there's there's been I don't know how many different universities now that have sent people home or had to discipline kids for socializing. Mm -hmm. That's what you do when you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. That's what you do in college. You know, you go to class. Your
0: grade school and your high school is learning ideas, and then college is supposed to be about exchanging ideas and growing with them. Mm -hmm. And if you take that away, look, we're not talking about constant keggers and playing grab ass in your dorm room, which that is an important part of things. It is. It's... More than that, and, and, and taking that social aspect away, Christ, that, that's half of college right there. It
1: completely and totally you know? is, and a very, very necessary part. Right. You know, you have to you have to learn that that balance between working hard and playing hard, and that's kind of where you do. You you figure out where your boundaries are. You figure out what's going too far, um, and you know you figure out how much work you have to put in to produce the results you're looking to get. You know, be your education, be mm-hmm. your schoolwork and whatnot. And yeah, when you're, when you're in college, it gets intense. Yeah. You know, that's when you really start defining where the rest of your life is going to go. Yep. And, you know, you discover what you're good at and, and where you expend your energies to get, exactly. the,
0: get the best results. The earliest forms of what we call college or university go back to ancient Greek times with the philosophers. And Socrates, with his, you know, 12 learned students around him, Mm -hmm. sitting there all day from sunup to sundown just exchanging ideas. Yeah. It's the same concept today. So even though it's now takes the form of, you know, a teacher all the way at the front of the class with these amphitheater looking, you know, classrooms Mm -hmm. and eight weeks worth of uh, chalk scribblings on the board, it's still the same thing. It's the exchange of ideas. Now, granted, some topics... Move in one direction, say like mathematics, and he's going to say, Well, this plus this and this, you know, do this formula. But when it comes to things like more of the social sciences or literature or any type of art, it's an exchange of ideas. And if you can't do that freely in person, one on one, what's the point? Yeah. You know, and I say this as an art major, and I know that all of my classes inevitably at some point in the week revolved around group discussions in person, looking, touching, feeling what other people have created. Um, and without that, it's, it's, it's a YouTube tutorial. Really. Oh, yeah.
1: There's a, there's, a, there's a structure that you need to have that facilitates this, uh, this exchange of ideas, this, yep. this whole learning process. And, uh, and, yeah, these kids aren't getting it. And it, it should be pointed out that, theoretically, this is a short-term thing. Like I said, right. by next fall... We should be moving in a direction that's similar to the direction we were moving in prior to the pandemic. But, uh, but yeah, between now and then, the kids are getting short-changed. Short They're getting damaged.
0: And speaking of short end of the stick or an empty <laughs> bag, if you will, there's a certain holiday coming up. Oh, yes. Or is there? That's a good good question. It's, <laughs> where, where
1: do you fall on this whole Halloween do we or don't we debate, John?
0: Uh, me, I'm a simple mark, and I'll tell you why. Um, growing up, I was always sick. I had really bad allergies. And for yeah. me, the fall was a nightmarish season. Really? Because the allergies would kick in full bore and inevitably turn into, best case scenario, bronchitis. Worst case scenario, pneumonia. And often, they would ship me to the hospital oh, in fun. a plastic bubble, good right? Fun. Dealing more, with fever more dreams. Of, <laughs> more of the
1: ecology of Johnny Deflon. yes. yes. This
0: explains some things. It oh, yes. So, to that end, there were many, many years that I wasn't able quotes or allowed to go trick or treating right. with the other kids, so in my you know late teens, early twenties, even in my thirties, when I could still wear spandex, <laughs> I would dress up as a different superhero hero every year, make all my own costumes, and really get into the Halloween experience.
1: those were the days
0: Oh, right? yes, now that being said um. Halloween is an important holiday because it's, again, a social holiday. It's all for the kids. Yeah. It gives them a chance to pretend, get out of their mundane humdrum school every day or whatever it is they're doing. And now they're saying that all of this innately poses a risk because you're exchanging these wrapped morsels at the door and transferring yeah. uh, possible COVID-19 bacteria and, and a virus. Is, is that the argument? Really? That's the argument. Never mind that the
1: surface to, surface yeah, to never person thing is probably the least likely way you're going to get the virus. And the worst
0: part about it is their rationalization for, like, say, here in Connecticut, where they're trying to have a Halloween festivity, yeah. is the kids can go door to door, but the treats must be indiv- individually wrapped into bags and placed, like, in a bowl on the porch, and there's to be no actual interaction between the house and the kids
1: and if we don't do this what the fuck are you going to do about it
0: right yeah so what are they going to send around agents to monitor these <laughs> kids going from door to door I mean I wouldn't put it past no, you know, Connecticut no I wouldn't I wouldn't either if anything they're going to come up with like a Halloween tax now to, to get people with. there you go but again you're just going to take this away from the kids and it's, it's a knee jerk reaction your solution is in no way shape or form guaranteed to keep anybody safe yep. so why bother
1: it seems this, this happens a lot you yeah. know with halloween something comes up to make people say oh this is insane halloween always does
0: get whether it's yeah. razor blades in the apples or poison in the candy yeah. it's a rough holiday it
1: sure it's it's, it's <laughs> constantly under attack i will yeah. say that that's that's craziness but yeah i don't i don't think going door to door collecting candy as long as it's it's, it's you know in a wrapper right. like a candy bar normally comes mm-hmm. i think there's a huge threat you know mom can drench it with lysol when you sure, get home sure sure you know? and
0: and previously and I, I forget why exactly we're doing this, it might have been with uh, just fear of the, the safety of the children and whatnot. But people had started having these like Halloween caravans. So they'd go into a parking lot and the parents would be there with all their cars and they'd pop open the trunk yeah. with bags of candy and whatnot. And the kids would essentially trick-or-treat in these uh, parking lots, going really? car to car, right. And I forget, again, exactly why, but like the last two years... This is something that's been gaining momentum. No kidding. And I think it's just from a safety aspect, these kids walking around unattended in in strange neighborhoods or whatever. Right. But even that, they're saying, no, not allowed to do that. So if anything, you've got to go to the house now. I'm just like, we're paying elected officials to come up with this shit? I mean, are you kidding me? I've been in some useless meetings in my day. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) seriously. Today's topic, how kids are going to get candy.
1: Yeah, how we can screw up (sighs) Halloween for the kids one more time. And yeah, you, I mean, the, the younger generation uh, has been criticized for their lack of social skills. Um, and they're the ones on the forefront of the use of technology. Right. Um, and it would seem that they're taking the brunt of the, the, uh, the bad things that can yeah. come of this.
0: And now we're going to have a whole generation full of, like, Tommies from the rock opera of the same name. <laughs> That are just oblivious to everything except yeah. what they're focused on on, on a TV screen. Yep,
1: yep, I don't think a lot of people got the fact that that was a metaphor. The deaf, dumb, and blind kid. Yeah, but Shh, yeah. don't educate the masses. Oh you'll goodness, only disappoint no. yourself. We can't be doing and that. And you'll anger the masses. Yes, that's not what we do here at Big Boom Radio. <laughs>
0: no. And speaking of which, this is that time of the program where we start getting like just downtrodden and and and, and desperate and just. Not fun.
1: And, and, and we need to shake the, shake the thing up here. Right,
0: especially we? because you know, second half of the program, folks, this might be a little heavy, too. We're going to label it as a celebration. Yeah,
1: because that's, that's the way it should be. Anytime anybody passes, you should celebrate the life, not mourn the death.
0: And when an entertainer passes, especially of the magnitude of the individual we're going to focus on today, yeah, you need to celebrate because you're not going to see his ilk for a very long time. And I am, of yeah. course, speaking of Eddie Van Halen who passed uh, just a couple days ago after his very long, protracted battle with cancer, uh, throat cancer, you know, on, on top of that. Um, but before we get into it, we're going to play Michael Sean Lee's favorite <laughs> Van Halen song, or the one that he felt was most appropriate for the occasion.
1: Yeah, that was, that was a tough thing to narrow down. Oh, sure. It
0: really and truly was.
1: There was so many different songs and so many different stories and experiences
0: right. attached to these songs. And I'm looking forward to your, your Eddie Van Halen anecdotes. I got, I got one or two. Yeah, so we're going to roll this for you, folks, and we're going to be back in a few minutes with this kind of things and stuff. ¶¶ Yeah. excellent choice. Yeah. yeah.
1: That, 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 of course, was uh, Spanish line, the little guitars from, uh, from the 1982 Van Halen release "Diver Down, which... The Dave was, album. Yeah. As it's known. That's, that's what it was <laughs> referred to. Yeah. Half of the album was covers. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, that album was the soundtrack to my summer of 1982. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I remember that, that just brings back a flood of memories of beaches and, and beer and chasing girls in bikinis and just good times. Just good, good times you know mm. it uh it just yeah there are certain certain bands and certain albums that take you back to a very specific time yes. you know in your life and uh and that was definitely one of them yep. it it was very very difficult as we were saying before the before the song you know to choose a van halen song that you considered your favorite there's so many so many different ones you know Jamie's crying is up mm-hmm. there dancing in the uh dancing the night away yep um, I know they, I know Eddie hated it, but Dancing in the Streets was actually yep, yep. a good, fun tune, and uh, it's just really, really hard to narrow it down, but, but yeah, for me, in my life experience, Diver Down uh, really yeah. really speaks volumes, and, and again, brings back memories. You know? And it,
0: it's funny looking at it now, because you know, it, it's easy for the, let's say, non-fan to categorize them as a heavy metal band, and let's go as far as, let's say, a famous heavy metal band, yeah. But if you look at a lot of the songs on the albums, even through the Sammy years, there are so many top 40 hits, yeah. and songs that are still getting active airplay today, mm-hmm. some are anthems for sporting events, like Jump. I mean, everybody knows that these songs. And I think what we've seen uh, after Eddie's passing is really how much and how underrated... Their contributions were oh, yeah. because even just a few weeks ago, you know, we were railing about the interview with um, Billy Eilish, the little songstress. <laughs> had never heard of Van Halen, I was yeah. like,
1: "What the fuck?" Well, I think in, in that case, and in the case maybe of a lot of young people, is they didn't they didn't realize that some of the songs that they knew and some of the songs they heard were Van Halen tunes. Right. You know, Van Halen. Think his kids
0: are stupid. <laughs> All <laughs> the venom's just, bubbling, just folks. Un, just uninformed.
1: <laughs> just uninformed. But, yeah, you know, uh, I, I could totally vision you know, some kid hearing this song and you saying, Hey, did you know that was Van Halen? And I'm going, What? Really? Right, oh, I didn't right. know that. I didn't know that. You, know? you had
0: some uh, anecdotes yeah, here to share. Yeah, you know, with us. I, I, I. Let me
1: get my popcorn. Had some, had <laughs> some uh, near misses, I guess you could say, uh-huh. uh, in regards to the late, great Edward Van Halen. Um, believe it or not, I shared a vocal coach with him. No kidding. Yeah, when my, my band back in the day uh, squared up to do our first album. Um, our producer uh, strongly suggested that you know I go go take some vocal lessons and get my technique down. Because I hope of,
0: you took that with a grain of salt.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, I begrudgingly admitted that he was right, because up until that point, I was winging it. I truly was. Okay. And you could get away with that with non-professionals, but with the pros, it was like, oh, gotcha. you're winging it. Okay, why don't you get yourself some lessons? <laughs> take D to another A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, And it was kind of funny, because my vocal coach used... The fact that Eddie was one of her students mm-hmm. as, a, as a means to get at least me to do, you know, when you're doing, if, if you have any concept of, of vocal training, there's a lot of really goofy shit, um, oh, yeah, goofy definitely. drills that you have to do to tune your chords and whatnot. And she used, you know, she'd say, okay, you need to put your, you know, tongue on your bottom lip and you need to hum and blah, blah, blah. And you're going, what? And <laughs> she would say, hey, if Eddie Van Halen can do it, you can do it too.
0: You know? Wow.
1: And yeah, it's, it's at that point, you have no argument. Thank You're you, like, mistress. Yeah, it's like,
0: okay, you know. Sounds like Nurse Ratchet meets vocal coach, but okay. She was good.
1: She was good. But uh, but that's not not actually my best best Eddie Van Halen story. I, I do have a couple of them, but this one in particular I enjoyed. Um, had a friend back in the day, a uh, real interesting character, a kid by the name of Kevin White, uh, which is funny because he was a black kid. And... Uh,
0: Racist. Kevin, really, really.
1: Did I use the right term on that? I don't think Uh, you did, buddy. Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Well, Kevin was a character and a half. He's a great, great guy. Real, real intelligent guy. I think he was also an alum in the University of Southern California, um, which I was, of course, as well. I think that's how we met. Mm -hmm. But uh, real, real sharp dresser. He had a really good job making good money. And he drove a very high-end white BMW. And the guy was a car aficionado. He absolutely loved cars. And uh, I was kicking back one day, this was probably sometime around 1990, and Kevin called me up in the middle of the afternoon. It was about 4 o'clock on like a Tuesday. He was just smashed, just just <laughs> drunk. And this was totally out of character for him. And it was like, hey, I'm coming to your place. You'll never believe how I spent my afternoon. And I said, okay, he's on the way. <laughs> and he got over, and he was smashed. And uh, I was like, okay, man, so what? Right, you know, what's right. going on here? And he said, well, I just left the office at 1 o'clock. I was heading out to lunch. And he spotted a Lamborghini mm-hmm. driving through Beverly Hills. Um, and Kevin, being a car nut, decides to follow this guy. Right, right. And, uh, and the Lamborghini eventually pulled into you know one of the high-end uh, restaurants in Beverly Hills, probably Dantana's or something like that. And so Kevin pulled in behind him. And the guy got up, went inside. And Kevin got up and went inside with him. And he spotted a guy down at the end of the bar. The guy was just sitting by himself having a drink. So Kevin you know, called the bartender over and said, hey, man, can you, you know, put that on my tab? Put that on my tab. And uh, so the guy looked up from the other end of the bar and you know, saluted him and waved him over. He said, come on over. You know, sit down. And he proceeds to sit with this guy for the next three hours mm-hmm. drinking and talking about cars. Right. And uh, the guy introduced himself as Edward. <laughs> and, uh, and Kevin's like, Edward, Edward, Edward. And you know, this guy looks familiar, but he couldn't, right. couldn't quite put his finger on it. And, you know, many hours and many drinks later, Kevin's hanging off the bar, and the guy says, okay, I got to get going. I got a band rehearsal to get to. And Kevin was like, wait a minute, this guy's a musician. Hmm. And he starts thinking about it, and then he's like, no. It couldn't be. Right. So he calls me up. He's thinking, he's a rocker. Mike's a rocker. He'll know. He'll know. Right, right. So he comes over to my place, and he's like, I think I just, you know, sat and drank for three, four hours talking cars with Eddie Van Halen. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And I pulled out, you know, one of the Van Halen albums that I had. I think, I think it might have been Diver Down mm-hmm. with Eddie's picture on it on the back. And I said, was this the guy? And he's like, yeah, that's him. Yep. And I was like, holy shit, man. You just, <laughs> you just spent the last four hours drinking with Eddie Van Halen. How nice. cool is that? Yep. You know? And yeah, he had nothing but good things to say about it. it he mm-hmm. was a very, very nice guy. And they weren't talking music. They were talking cars. Which Eddie
0: know? probably dug the shit out of that. Probably appreciated it for
1: once, <laughs> you know?
0: And but, yeah, uh, I remember seeing that. He was always a big uh, car aficionado, yeah. classic and, and sports cars. Yeah. And, um, you and know, you'd, it's
1: you'd see a lot of high-end cars. Oh, yeah. You know, driving around that area. But even in that atmosphere, a Lamborghini was like, right. whoa, you know, that's, wow. Yeah. You know, and it was Edward. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, good fun. Good fun. You
0: know, it's, it's funny... Um, you know, the, the stories and the recollections that we have. You know, I had said to you, even though Van Halen is, is far and away my, my favorite rock band of all time, I was a late bloomer getting into them. Yeah. You know, In my high school years even, I wasn't a, a huge fan. It kicked in pretty much once I graduated high school and got into college and was you know, forming an identity of yeah. myself. And I was getting yeah. away from the hip-hop culture and getting into classic rock. And I always had liked David Lee Roth. And when I made the connection and started listening to him with the original lineup of Van Halen, it added a whole new dimension. And yeah. I was like, "Oh my God, this this is this is magic. Yeah. This is what I am going to identify." I, I consciously knew this is what I'm going to identify myself with the rest of my life. This is now part of my brand. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, even though they fell into a category of, of hard rock bands, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever, however you want to pigeonhole them. They had a unique sound. Yeah. Nobody else sounded like
0: them before or since. It was the brown sound yeah. coined by him. And if you listen to the differences between the original lineup and then with, with Sammy, which I take nothing away from that, yeah. it was just literally like two different excellent bands, yeah, you right. know, depending what on your, what your personal cup of tea is. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a mash whiskey and a paper cup guy versus a champagne guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. champagne is obviously Eddie, um, and when he was doing his work with Sammy and the mashed whiskey and a paper cup is most definitely them doing backyard parties with Dave. Oh, you know? God, yeah,
1: they were legendary. But yeah. again,
0: in my universe, like science and religion, they coexist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But when I first got a chance, I had seen uh, David Lee Roth solo. Okay. And oddly enough, I never had an urge to see Van Halen with Sammy in the lineup. I had the albums, I loved the music, but I had no urge whatsoever. Because I'm not a big concert goer to begin with. Yeah. Okay. But when they got together in 2007, my girlfriend at the time bought me and my best buddy uh, tickets to go see them. Oh wow! At uh, wow, where did we go see them? I want to say it was in Philadelphia. Okay. Pretty sure, but that's it would that have a been good a woman spectrum. right there, man. Oh yeah, definitely it's the top shelf. But <laughs> yeah. it's a story for another day. All right. So we get there, and I'm just I'm taking it all in from the sound checks, and I think they had one of the the Marley kids like opening up for them. Yeah. Um. Once they started playing, by the time the first song was over, there were tears in my eyes. Yeah. And as self-deprecating nerdness, like I want to give myself a wedgie right now. <laughs> but for me, it was like a culmination of, of 20 years of, of listening to them and yeah, like man. knowing every song lyric by heart, every song on every album, what order it was in, what year it came out, all this, this nonsense, having read the books and David Lee Ross' autobiography and all that, now to see them... It was like a, a pilgrim arriving in the Holy Land, right, you know? Right. And it's something that, yeah, there were tears in my eyes, but it was, it, was, it was tears of joy because I could not have been happier. It was like Christmas morning through the eyes of a 40-year-old, yeah. practically, you know? <laughs> and then I was lucky enough to see them again in 2010 when they came around. Yeah. Ironically, because another friend of mine knew... How big a fan I was, and he wanted to go see him, but he wanted me to go with them right. to explain the whole experience. he yeah, was a fan, man. To, right, because to him that added legitimacy to going to see. It. Well, I got John with me, so he's going to explain like er- everything. Nice, and I just I, I loved it all the same because they were just as good again.
2: Yeah,
0: and it's uh, you could see a lot of their concert footage and audio on on YouTube and whatnot, but it's not the kind of band that sounds in a concert like it does on uh, on a CD or whatever. It's yeah. just, that's not the way they're wired. There's a lot of improvisation. Yeah. Dave in classic Frank Sinatra form kind of reinvents the lyrics for every song whenever he does it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I don't beat him over the head because he can't hit the notes he used to. Because really, if you look back, he never could hit those notes live. That was all studio stuff. Yeah. But the one, if any of them, that would excel in person versus uh, the recorded format most certainly was Eddie and there were things you know because their concerts are very standardized there's always the drum solo the bass solo Eddie would get his time and then Dave would come out with the acoustic and give a little speech before doing Ice Cream Man it's cookie cutter it's what's worked for all these years but you never knew what Eddie was going to do and I forget which show it was the 2007 or the 2010 when he sat there alone with the spotlight on him he made this guitar and I literally turned to my friend and I'm like Is he even still playing the guitar? Yeah. Because the noises that were coming out of it, and I can't even say music, there were such pleasant noises. It sounded like a whale song underwater, literally. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here, and the crowd is just silent. You get the occasional wolf whistle and what, but silent, just fixated, watching it. There are very few artists that I've seen since then, or I've seen other concerts of that, that invoke that same effect that aren't classical musicians, where, yeah. quiet, where quiet is, is warranted. Sure. You don't see that at a country-western show. You don't even see that at a Celine Dion concert. You, you don't you know? see
1: that at a rock show, ever.
0: Right. Yeah. When people shut their mouths without being told to and yeah. just pay attention, yeah. come on. That, that's, you, you're witnessing something that you know. Yeah, the maestro is playing now. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, easily, that's my fondest memory. And like I've said often on this show, and you're in full agreement these songs that we play and we talk about, they're our friends that are with us our entire life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for somebody that <clears throat> I never met, it's it's amazing the the impact that he had on my life and so many other people. And yeah. you see it now. Um, and there'll be a point where I get nauseated by it, you know, and I, I try to take ownership and be like, these are my memories. You all need to back off, you Walmart oh, scumbags. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because the merchandise sales are to the roof. The, the record sales are to the roof. But, maybe i'll look at it with a wink and a smile like he was famous for that that stage smile oh, yeah. that made everybody else have a good time because he was having a good time well
1: it was a pure joy to watch him play and it was right. it was also a pure joy to see him enjoying playing as much yeah. as he did it really and there's was. that that
0: scene from the movie um School of rock with Jack Black, yep. and he's teaching the kid how to play rock guitar. Yeah. And he's like, Now you gotta make a face like it like smells something funny, you know? <laughs> and it's, it's so truly funny because that was the blueprint of like pretty much every rock guitarist. Yeah. But and he never did that. He never looked down at his guitar with, with disdain. He never smashed his guitar, you know? Yeah. He would smile at it and then look at the audience while he's playing and wink and being like, Look, look what I figured I had to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it was inclusive of everybody and it was also a, a, a band that, despite all their infighting you know, all over the place, mm-hmm. they never took a stand, political or social, or anything like that. Yeah. Never, never yeah. heard them speak out against anybody or give an ill word against anybody else yeah. except themselves. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that's another rarity that, that I kind of miss. Oh,
1: it is, it is. It, it seems these days, uh, and it's, it's very wrong, that so many artists are pressured into taking a stand on something. Right. And, and more often than not, they're not at all versed in whatever it is they're talking right. about. But if
0: they don't say something, they're not quote-unquote plugged in to yeah, society.
1: Yeah, but you've got to ask yourself, how many people want that out of right. You know, the music and the musicians that they love?
0: Yep. So that's that. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it's tough even getting know. through that and not being emotional because it's, uh, like I said, such a huge part of my life. Oh,
1: and it's and it's, a, it's a huge passing. You know, yeah. as as always, when when somebody of his stature passes, you know, we're we're at a loss for it. Yeah. Um. But you know, anytime somebody passes, no matter who it is, you gotta you gotta focus on the life and celebrate the life. Exactly. And uh, and as far as Edward Van Halen is concerned, that was a life definitely worth celebrating.
0: Yep. Yeah. And now I, I found myself just like you did, in the unenviable position of, of picking a Van Halen song to play, yep. uh, in this case for the third jam, uh, jam of the episode. And again, damn, if there wasn't a bazillion I could have went with. Mm-hmm. So I took the less traveled road on this, uh, not to be contrived, but just because after really looking at it, I'm like, wow, this, this kind of sums it up. And um, in 2007, when they were going to get back together or a little bit before 2007, they came out with the greatest hits. And there was two original songs on it that they did with David Lee Roth, Uh, One of which was uh, titled, Can't Get This Stuff No More. And that's what I'm gonna play. We'll be back in a couple minutes with some more things and stuff. This stuff no more. I guess perhaps now more true than ever. Yeah. But uh, I, I I picked that song because I remember hearing it at the time when the album first came out, which I was salivating over. Yeah. And out of the two new ones that they put on there, one of which um, sounded really just like what Dave was doing at the time, but this one sounded to me like the old days of Van Halen. It does have that kind of it kind had a feel to it. Thundering drums sound, yeah. and the Brown sound was creeping back in it. But the lyrics were, were spot on and even more spot on now with Eddie's passing because it's, yeah, it, it reminisces, it celebrates like the past, but certain things you're not going to get anymore. And it, cut, it does kind of say, enjoy it now while you can because yeah. you don't know.
1: You don't know when it's yeah. over. And I will say in, in the case of Edward Van Halen, uh, I think that the, the greatest comment you can, uh, or compliment you can pay an artist is that they were unique. yeah you know and as a guitar player as a musician yep. edward van halen was
0: unique S- unique because he was self-taught you know and he is that's incredible on, to think about yeah it? and he said in interviews i was watching one of um, him doing something with the Smithsonian institute talking yep. about his playing and whatnot who he's donated some guitars to nice um the classic you know, Frankenstrat pattern. <laughs> and he said, you know, if, if I had learned guitar the traditional way, I would have sounded like everybody else and people wouldn't be celebrating me yeah. and my work. He says, because I learn these things on my own, they're unique because just nobody else was learning that way. It's not better or worse, it's just different. Yeah. And he was always, you know, there to, to show people like how he did stuff and whether it was, you know, coming up with bizarre alternative sounds, kind of like uh, Lucasfilm does for the sounds of lightsabers and laser guns. He would do the same stuff with a guitar. Yeah. He'd rub a drill on it to get that revving kind of sound. You know yeah. I mean? Who other than true artists think of stuff like this? Oh, he yeah. was a sculptor of noise. Yeah. And, it, and it he was worked. always
1: like that too. There's actually a, a really good interview with uh, Ted Templeman uh-huh. who produced, I think, all of the great Van Halen mm-hmm. albums. And the first time he saw them uh, was at the Starwood Club in Los Angeles in the in the late '70s, before they got a deal and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And right from the get-go, he was absolutely blown away by Eddie's guitar playing. And he talks about how you know, right after their set, he ran outside, got on the phone to Don Landy, who was the engineer for all the great Van Halen albums, and was like. This kid is unbelievable. Just right. unbelievable. You got to come see him tomorrow night. You have to here. <laughs> you know? So Eddie was like that from the get-go. Sure. You know that wasn't something that came along. You know, in time he mm-hmm. was like that. You know, coming right out of the gate. And if you think about how he played and what he played and how innovative he was and how much ground he broke, the idea that he taught himself is just stunning.
0: It's right. just stunning. And the fact that he started. I mean, all these little iconoclasms of what if. You know, he started out playing the drums. Alex started out playing the guitar. And when David Lee Roth met Eddie in community college for the first time in music theory... Eddie at the time was doing vocals, and David was learning it, the guitar. <laughs> I mean, it, it blows yeah. the mind away. Yeah. You know, people How forget that all right, eventually David Roth can yeah. play the guitar, but yeah. why should you, or do you need to, when if you're in Van Halen? If you've got to Van Halen to do
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. anyway, that's, that's
0: for that. And, and, and thank you, everybody, for you know, joining us on that little retrospective. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a guilty pleasure, but it's, it's something that needed to be done. Oh, holy appropriate. You know, Very or we're not the, uh, the Riffs and Rants podcast that we say we are. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And hey, speaking of which, John, yes,
1: sir. What, uh, what do we got going on in Big Boom Radio this week?
0: Wow. Well, you know, like they say, Big Boom Radio is rock and roll heaven 24 7. No, yeah. And let's just say they, they got another angel this week. But uh, as far as our show goes, we had an interesting development this week. Sometimes, if people catch it quick enough, they'll hear me bitch about the service <laughs> that hosts. Our radio station, yes, which, because yes. I don't want to get sued or dropped, I'm not going to mention them right now, but I've been less than impressed with a lot of the feedback and the ad revenues and all that good stuff. However, they uh, unleashed a new um, operating system, if you will, just last week, and I think they're still like putting it, the finding touches on it. And uh, one of the things that they've apparently greatly improved upon is the analytics page where it shows me who's listening and when. Okay. All right. Now, I was, for lack of a better word, you'll sure you'll agree, uh, a bit distraught when you and I had talked about this one time because I went to look at who was listening and it said something like twenty-five people this month, and I just stared blankly at the screen like, "This is impossible. How is this possible?" Yeah. Well, it isn't. (laughs) So, according to the new uh, analytics that came out, just taking out a blind, you know, thirty-day period. We should Um, give a shout-out to the crew in in Germany. Yeah, (laughs) right? Germany, we love you. Okay, number one. Thanks for listening. Yes. Sweden, too. We haven't forgotten about you, Sweden. No, not at all. But, um, yeah, again, it's it's the way the audience was when I had another service hosting it. And, unfortunately, it's very difficult in the online analytics community to get solid numbers from one source. So you need to combine um, as many of your... uh, outsourcing venues as possible. So in this case, combining us now with who we use with another service called TuneIn gives us a more accurate view. So yes, folks, we're back in the thousands again. <laughs> Whew! Which is good for a number of reasons. Uh, I should be getting more ad revenues than I actually am, but that's that's a, that's a song and a dance for another day. We'll maybe let the lawyers hash that out. But it says, you know what? This is why I do this, because... You see uh, an uptick around the world, wherever there's like a uh, United States Air Force base or military yeah. base, yeah. because I know our boys and girls in the green and the blue, they're listening in because they need a little slice of Americana. Yeah, have it. Um, love them to death, and I love them for contributing. Um, and again, these these other countries, Great Britain, Spain, um, various cities in, in, in Japan, even Australia, when I could look at that and say... Well, yeah, last week, you know, 30 people tuned in from Adelaide, Australia. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and it's, it, it puts so much in perspective that the sound of a voice, much like we alluded to in the opening segment, this is communication. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's something that online radio can bring to the table that terrestrial radio really can't yep. because your range is unlimited. Yep and even though a lot of standardized terrestrial radio stations now have an online presence, you're still really only going to know about that station if you're from that market. If you're local, Right. Whereas us being solely online, we're able to market to a global audience and reach a global audience. And I would be remiss if I would say that this whole experience hasn't been one of the best creative outlets I've ever explored. And this is from the kind of person who doesn't sleep at night and just has to keep creating. Otherwise, I'm miserable. <laughs> so, even with all the sharp edges and the bumps and, the, and everything in the road, um, it's been an invaluable experience. And we're showing no signs of slowing down. If anything, we're going to keep ramping us up, kids. Amen. So, on that note, yes. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of the Rips and Rants podcast. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon and I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we will see you all on the flip side.
3: Happy He's smiling. Bomba dee-da, bomba dee-da dee-da on
2: dee-da band. Band. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails, trails bomba to dee-da, bomba dee-da, you. Dee-da, bomba
3: Till we meet again
2: <laughs>